the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 30 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Good afternoon, Bay Area. Bob Bergman here, broadcasting from my office in San Jose. Uh, I'd like to start the show today with a little uh, survey. And uh, I am looking into returning to offering in-person estate planning seminars here in San Jose. I have found a location near my office that under current COVID guidelines is large enough to have right now about 13 people attending. And as the county opens up more and more, eventually it would be able to reach uh, as many as 50 or 60 people attending. And if you are interested in or would come to an in-person estate planning seminar in San Jose, could you please just shoot a quick email to me at radio at lawbob, L-A-W-B-O-B dot com, and let me know if that is something that would be of interest to you. I'm also considering doing some Zoom estate planning seminars um, in the relatively near future, and uh, and I I would be advertising those. Uh, in a number of different places, probably primarily Eventbrite, where I used to advertise my seminars before COVID shut everything down. So um, I'm asking for a little feedback from my audience. Uh, If you would come to a live estate planning seminar here in San Jose in the future here, please send me just a quick email at radio at lawbob.com so that I could know if that you would be interested in that. I'm trying to take kind of a little straw poll here, take the pulse of my listening audience to see if they feel comfortable enough and confident enough to go to a live presentation. Uh, one that will be socially distanced, one where uh, people will wear masks, except for me as the presenter, um, because I will be very muffled if I'm wearing a mask, Um, Plus, I think people sometimes uh, need, I know I do, I need to be able to see people's mouths move sometimes in order to really clearly hear what they're saying. Um, As I get older, I find it gets a little bit more difficult to distinguish words when they're coming through a mask. Um, And I rely on seeing someone's mouth move to help me fill in the blanks there. I'm sure many of you out there 
experience the same issue. And so I would be presenting without a mask, and uh, everyone attending, though, would be requested to wear a mask, unless literally everybody attending said they had no problem with taking their mask off. Um, I have been vaccinated, and I'm not fearful of being around people with no mask on. I'm sure many people feel the same way that I do, but I want to make sure that when I go back to doing these live seminars, that everybody is comfortable with um, with the situation. So again, email me at radio at lawbob.com if you'd be willing to come to a live seminar in the relatively near future, like within the next 30 to 60 days. If you'd like to call in with a question for me today, the number is 800-516-1220. That's 800 516 1220. I'm happy to take your questions on the air. Uh, don't worry about calling in, even if it's your first time calling a show. Um, I'm, I'm kind. I'm gentle. I won't be mean. And uh, and I and as you've been listening for a while, you know I'm pretty easygoing and pretty easy to talk with. So please feel free to uh, call in. Uh, those of you who listened last week heard a rebroadcast of an interview I did with my uh, friend and local estate planning colleague, uh, Jim Berge, who's an elder law attorney here in San Jose. Uh, That show actually was broadcast a couple years ago, but it's still relevant today. We talked about conservatorship and the cost of conservatorship, which have gone up. They haven't gone down from the time that show was broadcast, and the need to do proper estate planning to avoid conservatorship and avoid uh, while you're alive if you become incapacitated and to avoid probate at death. So a show like that remains relevant going forward, and it's not likely to change. If anything, the conservatorship laws are likely to get more complicated, more expensive, more burdensome than they are now. In my experience, laws tend to get more complicated, not less complicated, more involved, not less involved, and ultimately more expensive to implement, not less expensive to implement. So that's what I could say after 40 years of practice. um, The probate code keeps growing in length. It has not gotten smaller one year since I started practicing. It used to be relatively thin, and now it's about three or four times as thick as it was when I started practicing law. So that's just the nature of law. It tends to expand and get more complicated as we move forward. That's why it's important to have competent legal counsel assisting you in this area of estate planning. I tell people, really, you don't want to try to do your estate plan on your own. There was a time, for example, that you could work on the engine of your car on your own. You really can't do that with modern cars because they use computers now to diagnose, and they also have computer chips and computer boards in the engines that regulate everything. Um, Many of the things that could be done 20, 30 years ago cannot be done today, and estate planning has pretty much always been that way. It's getting more and more complicated 
And with uh, actions now being taken in Washington, uh, some major changes to our tax laws and estate planning that will impact estate planning are being considered right now. If they are implemented, there will be some major changes coming and having an estate planning attorney assist you will become more critical than ever. But now I'm going to uh, jump into questions and comments from around the state of California, something that I uh, normally uh, do on my show. And I'm going to touch on one right now uh, that comes out of Los Angeles. And uh, what the person said was, um, my aunt had her aged sister in another state and the niece of that sister, her niece, daughter of that sister, and two grandchildren uh, that disowned her five years ago. But um, the aunt had no will. My sister um, has power of attorney over the aunt, but the aunt recently died. Well, the power of attorney has no legal effect anymore once the aunt dies. That's something about a power of attorney. It's only in effect while someone's alive. So the sister says she wants to liquidate the aunt's properties. Well, she has no authority over those now. So the question is, being the uh, the agent under the power of attorney, does that make this person's sister the automatic executor of the aunt's estate? The answer is no. There's typically priorities set forth in the law uh, if there is no will as to who can be the executor. And those people could always decline to serve and agree to someone else being the executor. But this person's sister really has no say in the matter. So we're coming up on the first break for the show today. When we come back, I'll continue with more Plan Your Estate radio, uh, more questions and comments from around the state of California. You can always call in 800-516-1220 if you'd like to ask me a question on the air. But this is attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your State Radio, and I'll pick up with you after the break. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio. Once again, your host, estate planning trust and probate law specialist, attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back. I'm going to continue with more questions and comments from around the state of California. So let's jump into here. Um, let's see. So, question. Will the grandchildren with the deceased parent inherit a portion of the property if they aren't included in the trust? This is out of San Francisco. It says, my grandmother is 95 and my mother passed away 10 years ago. So the person asking is one of the grandchildren. As far as my sister and I have been made aware, we'll receive my mother's half of the inheritance when our grandmother passes. There is definitely a trust in place. We've just never seen it to tell us one way or the other. If the estate excludes my sister and I, is that final? Well, the trust will say what happens to the deceased parent's share of property uh, if that person dies before the person who created the trust, who is the grandmother. And a very typical trust would say, um, I, leave, I divide my property between my children uh, or their issue, uh, either what's called by right of representation or per stirpes, T-I-S-T-I-R-P-E-S, which essentially means the same thing, not precisely, but 
close enough to the same thing. And that would mean that if a child has died and had issue, such as their own children and or grandchildren, then the deceased child share would drop down and be divided between that deceased child's own children, which would be this person asking the question and her sister. That would be a very typical, I would say probably the most common distribution. Um, it might say everything goes to my children and uh, um, or the survivor of my children. And if all of them are deceased, then drop down to the next level, which would be grandchildren. That's another possible distribution plan. Uh, distributions could also include, I just want uh, everything to go to uh, my children, but um, if this child dies before me, their share does not drop down to their own children. Uh, that would effectively be disinheriting those grandchildren, this person and and his or her sister. So you have to see the trust to really definitively answer just what will happen to that share for the deceased parent. And there's no real way to kind of, quote, answer the question without seeing the trust document. Seeing the trust document, if it's drafted properly, it would be very straightforward about uh, just who is going to receive that deceased parent's share. Okay, here's a question out of Los Angeles. How do I handle an alleged debt of my parents who have been deceased for two to four years? It's kind of a strange question. I think your parents would have been deceased. I think what they meant was one parent died two years ago, one died four years ago. <clears throat> and the person said, I received an email from a distant relative claiming my deceased father owes them $20,000 from a loan from 2016. My father passed in 2019, and my uncle had received the email and forwarded it to me. This is the first I'm hearing of it. I was sent a copy of the check by email that was paid to my father, but I have no written proof of any sort of a loan or a deal between them. I'm worried my relative might try to sue us. What recourse do I have if there's no proof of the loan terms? Well, it's the distant relative has to somehow prove that there was a loan, that there was an agreement that it was a loan, and that and why, uh, whether there was repayment terms, and why the loan was made in 2016, and now it's been five years since the loan was made, the father's been deceased for two years, and yet there's no information here that any attempt was made to collect on this loan, assuming it was a loan. And it may very well be that because of the passage of time, it's no longer possible to collect on that loan. Um, and, and especially since the person's been dead for two years, presumably their estate has already been distributed out to uh, the children, child or children, and uh, that's been, you know, maybe a couple of years ago. Um, no indication that there was a a, a creditor-debtor relationship between this distant relative and the father. 
Um, but if there is no written agreement that could be sued on, then there's going to be a shorter statute of limitations. And a statute of limitations basically says that if you wait too long <clears throat> to enforce your legal rights in a contract, uh, this is in the context of a contract such as a loan or an agreement to make a loan, then you lose the ability to collect on that contract uh, or to collect on the loan. Um, and so after a certain amount of time, the loan becomes essentially forgiven because no effort was made to collect on it. And the debt, if there was a debt, goes away. <clears throat> and so I tell people, if someone owes you money, uh, you, you you need to be aware of that, that if they don't pay you back and, and you have no written agreement, I believe the statute of limitations on an unsecured loan um, that has uh, no no security, meaning you haven't pledged um, a bank account or pledged a brokerage account or you have a deed of trust on your home or something, uh, just a loan that is not documented at all. I think it might be two years, but I don't really practice in the debtor-creditor area. A bankruptcy lawyer would be able to tell you right away just how long it is for a, a loan that is not documented in any way, how long until you have no obligation to pay it back. Uh, so that's something that uh, would be the situation here. And I think that uh, probably you would find that it's been too long and... Um, there's really no ability to successfully sue for this $20,000. Okay, I'm going to do one more uh, shorter question before uh, the second break, uh, break at the bottom of the show today. Got a little more than a minute to go, but here's the deal. It says, my husband and I have been married 55 years. He's putting together his will and trust. He has an inheritance, stocks, and other investments, presumably in his name only, that were just his. He pays my bills, uh, health insurance, food, essentials, trips, etc. He fuses, refuses to tell me how much money I will have upon his death. Is it legal for him to not share his plan for me? What can I do to have him share this information? Well, the short answer is, if it's his property, his assets has always been his property, his assets, and has never been part of the marriage. He doesn't have to share any of that information with you or anyone else. After 55 years, I would hope there would be some trust there, but apparently there's bigger issues in this, in this marriage than just uh, your husband not willing to share that information. Sad but true. Okay, we'll get back after the break here at the bottom of the hour. This is Attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your State Radio, and we'll catch up after the break. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. Hi, welcome back. I'm going to continue with more questions and comments from around the state of California. If you would like to call in to ask a question of me on the air, it's 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. Okay, this is out of Kentfield, California. Not exactly sure where Kentfield is. Um, don't know if it's Southern California or if it's up in Northern California somewhere. If you live in Kentfield or know someone from there, 
then you know where it is. I'm not quite sure myself. Okay, this person says, I've been helping manage a former client's estate after his passing. He has a trust. I don't know if it's revocable or irrevocable, but I'm trying to find out if I can be gifted $12,000 for services rendered. Okay, let's just pause right there. If you work for somebody and they pay you, that's not a gift. Literally, that's not a gift. That is payment for services rendered. As he says, he's rendered services to the former client's estate. Says, I'm hoping to receive the money as a gift so I don't have to claim it on my taxes, as it would put me into an entirely different tax bracket. Well, what it would do is put some or all of the $12,000 in a different tax bracket, not everything that you earned. Um, the tax brackets kick in for higher and higher levels of income. They don't apply to income that already is taxed in a lower tax bracket. But the short answer to this person is, no, you cannot be gifted something for services rendered. If you're a beneficiary of the trust and it says you're given $12,000 as a beneficiary, that's a gift. That's not taxable income. But if it's money going to you for services rendered, by definition, that's taxable income. There's really no way around that. Okay, out of Sacramento, a uh, person says, I'm a beneficiary in my husband's trust. I'm also on the deed of the primary house we owned together. The trust states that 50% of the primary house is mine. Well, that's true because uh, this person's on the title. Um, with 25% going to each of our two adult children. Am I bound by the language in the trust? In other words, does the house need to be sold? Or can I keep the house to live in since my name and my now deceased husband's name was on the deed as co-owner? Okay. Um, it's not clear from this whether or not the house was in the name of the husband and the spouse or if half the house was in the name of the husband's trust, um, if the property was owned in both of their names, then the question becomes whether um, uh, how they own the title in both their names. Was it held as community property, as community property with right of survivorship, as joint tenancy? If the latter two, then that means that this surviving spouse owns 100% of the property. If it was owned as community property, then the question becomes, did the husband have a will that directs that his community property is to go to his trust, in which case, ultimately, his half interest in the property would go into the trust and then presumably would pass to the children? Um there's more information that's needed here to truly answer this, but I think um, it sounds like it may be that half the property was in the husband's trust and the other half was in the surviving spouse's name. And if that's the case, then the surviving spouse now owns the property with the two adult children. Um, the property, anyone who's on the title has a right to live in the property 
including the surviving spouse. But if the kids want their money, the surviving spouse either has to refinance and raise the money with a mortgage to pay the kids off, or they're going to have to sell the house to pay the kids off. And the kids could actually go to court and force the sale of the house. It's what's called a partition action. And I've talked about partition actions in shows in the past. Basically, the law says you don't have to stay a co-owner on a piece of real estate with someone that you don't want to be a co-owner with, whether it's a um, a mother, father, stepmother, stepfather, niece, nephew, aunt, uncle, sibling, or child. It just kind of works that way. Okay. Um, what actions do I take upon the death of a parent where there was a trust, uh, the parent has passed, and designated me as the trustee upon her death. What do I need to do? Well, I would say, unless you have handled a trust before as a successor trustee, what you need to do is you need to consult with and probably engage the services of an estate planning attorney that does trust administration and probably also engage the services of an accountant to help you account for the assets of the trust and do any tax returns that may be needed for the for the spouses or rather for the parents estate and then for the trust which is now an irrevocable trust and becomes a separate taxpayer from the parent if it's earning income it's going to need to file a tax return and the income is going to need to either have tax paid on it by the trust or distributed out to the beneficiaries so that they can pay the tax at their own respective tax brackets that's kind of what will happen or what needs to happen. But I would say if you've never done it before, don't try to do it on your own. Engage the services of an attorney that does trust administration. I do that. Uh, And then an accountant, especially an accountant that's handled estate or trust tax returns because they're not exactly the same as personal tax returns. You want someone that has done a lot of those to make sure that it's done correctly And you don't have the IRS coming after you because you made a mistake. Here's a question out of Sacramento. The owner of a trust was convinced to sign a resignation letter and now realizes it was a huge mistake. Now, I assume that means the grantor of the trust, the person who created the trust, signed and resigned as trustee in charge of the trust. Can the grantor who resigned regain control of the trust? Well, first of all, if it was a revocable trust, then the grantor of the trust, as long as they're still competent, has the power to amend and modify that trust at any time, which would include firing whoever took over as the trustee and taking back over as trustee again. Um, If it's an irrevocable trust, it becomes fuzzier. Uh, only if the grantor of the trust retained the right to hire and appoint trustees of the trust would they be able to possibly take back over as the trustee of the trust. So as a general rule, if you created the trust and it's revocable, you have the power to hire and fire anybody that you've put in charge. You can take back control. You can take back the wheel, so to speak, and start driving your trust again even if you resigned and let somebody take over, uh, you can fire them and take control back. That, that's kind of the general rule. 
Okay. Is, is the remainder beneficiary of a trust the decedent's estate, the, the deceased trustor's sister, the trustee, the surviving spouse, or the one who obtained an authorized certified copy of the decedent's certificate of death? Well, the short answer is the remainder beneficiary or beneficiaries of a trust are those uh, that individual or those people or charities or others that are actually named in the trust document. It has nothing specifically to do with the relationship of the beneficiaries to the person who created the trust. Uh, it could be a best friend. It could be a significant other. Um, so the remainder beneficiary is whoever is named in the trust, not specifically a sister, a child, a spouse, the trustee, or anyone else. Um, so that kind of is the short answer to that question. To determine the true answer to that question, you have to look at the trust document itself to see what it actually says. And, and that will give you ultimately give you your answer as to who the beneficiary of the trust is. Okay, uh, see that one con too confusing to even try to sort through. Can someone be designated as a trustee on money I stand to inherit without my knowledge? I need to know if the administrator of my late father's estate can request to be the trustee of the money I'm going to inherit by claiming to the attorney of record and or the court that I am something I am not. Well, what, um, a dog, a cat? I'm not sure what the person's asking there, but uh, I think maybe asserting that the person is mentally incompetent or something like that. Uh, can this be done without my knowledge? Uh, no, it cannot. And will the courts grant this person to be trustee over my inheritance solely based on claims he makes without positive proof that what the person is saying is true or not? Well, first of all, if it's um, in an estate and property's being left to somebody, there's no authority for anyone to just create a trust and hold someone's inheritance as a trustee, even though it might be a good idea. Um, that's not something. You have to have an existing trust that directs that property's to be left in trust for somebody with someone as a trustee. So that's really kind of the short answer to that right there. We're coming up on the third break in our show today. This is attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your Estate Radio. We have one more segment to go, and uh, I will be coming back shortly to finish out the show today. And again, stay tuned for the final segment of Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back. I'm going to close out the show today with some more questions and comments, but I'd like to ask one more time if, if you would be interested or willing to come to a live estate planning seminar here in San Jose, uh, likely within the next 30 to 60 days, please email me at radio at lawbob, L-A-W-B-O-B dot com, and let me know that you would be interested. I'm trying to get some sense of whether there is any pent-up demand for live estate planning seminars. 
I want to return to doing those. I, I would typically do those one or two a month before uh, COVID hit uh, back and shut us down back in the middle of March of last year. And now that we're reopening, I have located a place near my office where I can have right now currently about 13 people attending that over time would expand to as many as 40, 50, maybe even 60 people attending. I don't anticipate getting that many people coming, but I'd like to be able to have 20 to 30 people coming because that's a good group to present to and uh, and it creates an, an energy all its own. Uh, plus, I am eager to get back to presenting my estate planning seminars again. It's been too long. And uh, But if you could email me at radio at lawbob.com, let me know if that's something that you would be interested in. That'll give me some sense of what kind of demand there might be, at least from my listening audience. And uh, I'm grateful for this listening audience. Uh, if you've been listening for a long time, thank you. If you're just listening for the first time, thank you. And please let your family and friends know. Uh, just just to let you know, this uh, show typically rebroadcasts on KDOW at 3 o'clock on Saturday afternoons and at 6 o'clock on Tuesday evenings. So if you missed the rest of the show or you want to let somebody know about it, that's when it rebroadcasts. You can also go to kdow.biz, B-I-Z, and look for the podcasts. Look for Plan Your State Radio, and my shows are rendered as podcasts uh, on the website there, so you can listen to them or download and listen to them at your leisure. I'm very happy to have you do that and let other people know that's how they can, if you heard something good, note down the date and time, and then you can go there and and uh, share that with other people. Okay, here's a question out of Jackson, California. I know where Jackson is. I had uh, I had a friend, I think, who went to, to college there in Jackson. I think there's a community college there, and the person went to that community college there. Uh, in any event, here's the question. If a trust is made irrevocable upon the death of the grantor, that's pretty typical, can it be revoked after the death of the grantor? Hmm. Hypothetical situation. My mother passed away and left the house and property to me. My sister and sister-in-law, both co-trustees of my mother's trust, have put in a legal request to have the house and property taken away from me. Now, I assume that means they have filed a petition with the court where the mother lived making some kind of claim that this child um, is not entitled to the house and property. Um, maybe the claim is that the child exercised undue influence on the mother and induced her to leave everything to her and nothing to uh, the sister. And then I guess if there's a sister-in-law involved, there's probably a brother as well. And maybe they're challenging the trust. Now, if they're co-trustees, they can't really challenge the trust. That's kind of a conflict of interest. Um, but let's assume that is what's the case there. Now here, says the house nor the property, they were not part of the trust, but separate ass assets given specifically to me. 
Well, just because they're assets given to the person, if it was through the trust, those assets right now are part of the trust and they have to be distributed out of the trust. So if there's some kind of claim that this person should not receive the property because of actions the person took that were uh, illegal or inappropriate, then um, that it may very well be that they lose the right to the the house and the property. That's not a matter of revoking these gifts. That would be a matter of challenging and undoing those gifts through a legal process that would, in, would have to involve a court making a decision that it would be appropriate legally to do that. And um, uh, unless this person asking the question was playing fast and loose and tricked the mother or uh, induced or coerced the mother into making this plan, um, it's not, or unless the mother made changes like this to an original trust and the mother lacked the legal competence to make those changes, it's not likely that um, a ploy like this by the sister and the sister-in-law is going to be successful. That's been my experience over the years. So we're coming up on the end of the show today. I hope you've learned some things. Uh, and if you didn't learn anything, I'm sorry about that. Hopefully you'll keep coming back, though, because there's always new topics, new situations from around the state of California that I share on my show. Uh, we're now coming up on the very end of our show today. This is estate planning attorney Bob Birdman, host of Plan Your Estate Radio. And I hope to hear from you. And I hope to have you come back and listen to future shows. By the way, if you'd like to make a consultation, just listen to the message at the end of the show, and I'll tell you how to go about doing it. Until next week, this is Attorney Bob Bergman. Have a great weekend, Bay Area. You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com. L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved.